Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes or at thejazzsession.com. At thejazzsession.com, you'll also find Amazon links to、uh, purchase the records that are on the show. And if you do that using those links,、uh, you'll give a little bit back to the Jazz Session. And if you'd like to give some back directly, you can use the donate button. The show is free, but、uh, I welcome your contributions to help defray the costs. My guest today is pianist Frank Kimbrough. He has a, a CD coming out.、Uh, if you're listening to this on the day it's released, he has a CD coming out in just a few days. I believe it's March 30th that it comes out. The CD is called Rumors. It's on the Palmetto label, and it、uh, features Jeff Hirschfeld on drums and Masa Kamaguchi on bass. And it opens with this tune called Six. My guest is pianist and composer Frank Kimbrough. His、uh, newest CD on the Palmetto label, which will come out、uh, in just a couple of days, and I will break in here to say that、uh, by the time this airs, that will be true. His newest CD, which comes out in just a couple of days, is called Rumors, and it's my pleasure to welcome Frank to the show. Thanks so much for being here, Jason. Thank you so much for having me.、Uh, this is long overdue, man. You were、uh, you were a guest of mine back in my in my radio days, and、uh, it's it's way overdue for me to have you on the jazz session, and I'm I'm really glad you did it.、Uh, it's just it's great to talk to you again. Well, thank you, thank you. Great to talk to you too. So、uh, let's talk about this record,、um, and I, I hope you maybe start out by talking about、uh, the kind of story behind the record, which is which is really interesting.、Um, when I read it in the notes,、um, I was I was fascinated at how it was put together.、Uh, a story that I never could have guessed, I guess, just by listening to us. Maybe you could tell us about the trio and、uh, how this recording came to be. Jeff and Massa and I had done a tour of Italy a couple of years ago, almost three years ago now, and.、Um, We had just reunited the previous weekend before it was recorded at a club here in in the city in New York City called the Catano, and、um, we had played on Saturday night there. And Massa was going to go back to Spain in a few days, and we were trying to figure out how maybe we could get together and play again before he had to leave. 
And um, lo and behold, the Tuesday following that Saturday night, I got a call from a friend of mine, Jimmy Katz, who's uh, best known as a great photographer. And he said, hey, I've got four hours of time for you if you want it at Avatar Studio, which is one of the best studios in New York. And uh, he asked me if I had a project I wanted to do. And, of course, this came to mind. So I said, yeah, you know. And I said, when is it? And he said, well, it's tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. So I made a couple of quick calls, left voicemails for Masa and Jeff, and then went back to school because I was was teaching. And when I got home that night, I'd heard back from both of them, and they could both make it. So uh, we planned to meet at 9 a.m. the next morning, and I spent a little while looking through tunes. So 9 o'clock the next morning, we're all at the studio. And, you know, Jimmy was recording us with one stereo pair of microphones placed in front of the trio. Now, we were set up in the studio with no baffles, no headphones, nothing. It was it was like it was like we were playing at home, you know. He had this stereo pair of microphones and then he placed one extra mic on each instrument and we set up very close together. And uh, you know, we had to fool around with the placement of things for those stereo mics because we we wanted a really clean live sound. And so we spent about an hour and a half getting the sound. And so about 10.30 that morning, we were ready to ready to begin. And so we started playing and took a couple of short breaks, but basically played through uh, until about 1.30 that afternoon, at which point uh, we, we stopped. And, and we, at that point, had 18 complete takes, I think, done. So uh, I didn't know, you know, how it would turn out. So I, I took the, the hard drive out to Matt Balasaris out at Palmetto Studios. You know, we put it up and he started mixing. And after about an hour or two, he turned to me and he said, this is very fortuitous. And I said, yeah, how is that? And he said, well, right now, you know, at this moment, we have no records in the pipeline. So this can come out in the spring which was very exciting, you know. So we we picked the tunes that we liked the best and mixed them. And uh, I guess we mastered the record the first week of January, and here we are, just like that. So the session was done, uh, even though we had just played three nights pre- previous to that, um, we, we, we did mostly material that we had not played at the gig, um, it's all original tunes. There are eight tunes on the record. And uh, we did seven of my originals, and then we did uh, sort of an adaptation um, that I did of a, of a piece uh, by the Spanish composer Federico Mampu, uh, which was from a collection of his called Musica Callada. And uh, there was no rehearsal, there was no discussion, there was no really anything. We just, you know, just just hit it. And that's the way I like to record, and it's the like the way I like to play. So um, I was very pleased with with how things turned out. Sometimes it's it's a little risky to do that, but if you if you choose the right people and the right music, and you know the stars are lined up right, then uh, sometimes you can come out with a pretty nice thing. So I'm really happy with it. 
there's a lot to react to and let, let me just start off by saying uh, why do you enjoy uh, recording and playing that way uh, well you know as a jazz musician um, I like spontaneity and that's you know that's that's the way to get it by not rehearsing and not talking about it um, I, I think the, 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 the primary um, thing is that uh, you know, we all trust each other. So I trust Massa to to play the right stuff on the bass, and I trust Jeff to play the right stuff on the drums, and they both trust me. And you know, we can play without you know rehearsing or arranging things or even counting things off. Uh, we just start playing, and, and and there it is. It's you know, it's it it can be very risky, but. Um, the way I prefer to do it, and and the way a lot of the people that I sort of came up listening to, and some of the people that mentored me when I was younger, people like uh, well Andrew Hill or uh, Paul Blay or Shirley Horn, they were all sort of like that. They they didn't really they or they didn't really like to rehearse. Uh, Andrew would have rehearsals, but. That was sort of a different story. But um, Paul never rehearses. He never practices, for that matter. Shirley Horn rehearsed very, very little. And uh, it keeps the music very fresh. Uh, you know, when everybody's really on their tiptoes, about to fall over the edge, sometimes that's the best place to be. And you can't really do that when you're a brain surgeon or if you're working for NASA. But, you know, it's just music, so... If you blow it, you can do another take, or well, I guess worst case scenario, you make a bad record, but um, I don't think that's the case here at all. I, I think it turned out very nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, uh, because we've so far referred to them just by their first names, is uh, Masa is Masa Kamaguchi, the bassist, and Jeff is uh, Jeff Hirschfield. Um can I uh, ask, you said that uh, despite the fact that you had just played a few days before this recording, mm -hmm. uh, you chose repertoire for the record that you uh, really hadn't played before as a trio. Does that also contribute to that, that spontaneity and freshness that you were talking about? Yes, I, I think so. Um, you know, when we were playing in the club, we played more, we played more standards. We played more... Uh, that the, those kind of tunes, we were we were taking a very similar approach with those tunes, but still they were tunes that you know that sort of fit the club atmosphere, and you know tunes that that people would recognize, and you know not pandering to anyone, we're playing tunes that we love to play, and it's part of our sort of collective coming up, you know tunes that we all have been playing for years and love to hear played. Um, but for this, you know, for a record, I like to do my original music. So we co sort of took the template of what had happened on that Saturday and just applied it to my original music the following Tuesday. Mm -hmm. 
You mentioned uh, when you were describing the recording session itself that you recorded without baffles, which I, I think that means kind of the, the see-through partitions that are sometimes placed between the instruments. Right, the right. Or sometimes they'll wall off everybody. Everybody's played at different rooms, and you, and you have to, you know, you have to wear headphones, and so you're not really hearing the sound the way it really exists. This way, the way we were playing... You know, we were we were we were just a, a few feet from each other, and we you know the overtones from the piano were mixing with the overtones of the bass and the cymbals, and and so you you know you you have all those overtones that are that are mingling with each other, and I, I much prefer that to you know being in a room with a door closed, a glass door that's closed, and wearing headphones and trying to get a good headphone mix and, and hoping that everything turns out okay. But you just, you don't have the, you know, you don't have uh, all the different instruments sort of existing in the same space when you play that way. And uh, actually the last record I did with Masa, Kamaguchi, and Paul Motion, we did uh, a very similar setup uh, out at the Palmetto studio. There was no rehearsal, you know, we were all in the same room with no baffles and no headphones, and that one took five hours. This one only took three. <laughs> You're getting it down. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what uh, What makes a piano trio work for you? What 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 do you look for in in a bassist and a drummer uh, that really that works for how you play and how you think about music? Well, I, I look for musicians who are interactive musicians. So. They don't come to the gig or to the re recording session with an agenda other than to make music together. The together part of it is what's really important to me. Uh, you know, a lot of, with a larger band, you have to take other things into consideration. So you, maybe you need to rehearse in order to, you know, for everybody to be playing together. But with a trio, I think it's much easier. And, and, and also, you know, we do have a history. And, uh, you know, when I, when I first met Massa, I'd go over to his, his place in Brooklyn, and we'd play, and, and Jeff actually played with us there quite a few times as well. Um, and, you know, I might say, well, you know, Massa, what do you want to play? And he says, ah, oh, I don't care. We could play free. We could play originals. We could play standards. We could play tunes that he had never played before that he didn't even know. You know, I could say, uh, do you know, uh, such and such a tune? And he'd say, no, but that's okay. Just go ahead and play it. And he would hear his way through it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a really, uh, he's a fairly miraculous bass player. He, he's very open in the way he hears music and in the way he plays it. And he can react to anything that's happening, um, instantaneously. And Jeff is that kind of player too. So, they, and they delight in it. They're not afraid of that. So you can play very freely, even even on material that you've played a hundred times before. And and because you have that trust, then you can you can just play, you know, and not, not worry about whether everything's tight or whether everything's you know totally. Together, like we could play in in it, having three 
different tempos happening at once, and it wouldn't bother any of us. Or you could play with no tempo at all, or you could play swinging, or you could do any number of things that, that, um, you know, that, that, that would allow the music to happen. The final track on uh, Rumors is called For Andrew. Is that is the Andrew mentioned Andrew Hill? It is. And um, though it's, I don't think it's mentioned in the notes, that piece was, was completely, was improvised completely from, from the first note. Wow, that's incredible. I, w- I don't think I would have guessed <laughs> that, um, that that was the case. It, it, it's, it's pretty amazing the way, the way the piece turned out. There's um, this a little idea that popped into my head on the walking from the subway to the studio that morning. It was just a little idea that I heard in, in you know in my in my head and so we got I think it was, you know, among possibly the last tunes we played, although I can't remember for sure. But I think at some point I said, Hey man, let's let's just uh, you know, let's just improvise something. So we, we and, and this was this was the piece that, that came out of it. And so there again, you have, you know, this is maybe perhaps the best example of, of just starting with a blank slate and seeing what happens. But uh, yeah, I got to write that out, I guess, <laughs> so I can play it again. <laughs> but why is Andrew Hill important to you? Well, Andrew is a very dear friend. I I remember still. Um, I guess it was probably 1980. No, yeah, yeah, it was about 1980. And uh, I was playing a gig in Alexandria, Virginia, in this little club. And right across the street, there was a record store. So on the breaks, I'd go over to the record store, because they stayed open late. And I'd just look through and see what they had. And I remember I bought my first recording of Messiaen's piano music there as well, which was a very important record for me because it turned me on to Messian's music which you know it was it's it's he's one of my favorite composers and I just found this record and I didn't know who he was and 
you know, I just got the record and took it home. Well, the same thing with Andrew. I'd heard about Andrew, but I'd never heard his music, really. And so there was Black Fire sitting in the in the bin, so I bought it and took it home, and it literally changed my life. Changed the way I think about playing music. You know, that happens maybe half a dozen times in your lifetime. And so uh, I, I loved his music. I was crazy about it, so I went out and bought all, you know, as many records as I could find. Of course, uh, at that time, a lot of them were out of print. But I'd find them, maybe news record stores or whatever, and then he came to D.C. while I was living there, and I went to hear him. He was playing solo at the D.C. Space, which was a club downtown in Washington. And we met that, that evening. And then I didn't see him again for maybe three years. He, he came back to New York, and he was playing at a, a, a defunct club uh, called Sweet Basil. And we, we sort of reconnected. And so... Um, you know, we struck up a correspondence, and every time he came to town, I'd go hear him. And one day he called me and told me he was moving back to New York. So um, we got to be even, you know, closer, better friends at that point. And, and uh, we'd have these long, rambling conversations about music and about life. And he'd ask me about musicians uh, for his bands, and I recommended a few guys that he ended up hiring. Uh, for one band or another, people like Ron Horton or Nasheed Waits or John A. Bear, people like that. Um, it was just great when he moved back to New York because I knew that there were there were players here that were ready for him this time. Uh, because he was such a sort of idiosyncratic composer and player that I think sometimes he had trouble finding people that could that could really play with them and really connect with them. But when he came back here, he, he found that, and he put together that sextet and uh, did a beautiful big band recording while he was here and, and did a few other things, but it was just great, you know. He was a, um, like, I never took a lesson with him or anything like that. He always treated me as a peer, actually, which, looking back on it, um, was very magnanimous of him. Um but you know we were we were close friends right up to the end, and I miss him dearly. So that's why I titled that tune for Andrew. When you first heard Black Fire, what what about it suggested uh, something new to you or changed your conception of the way music could be performed? Well, it was sort of the totality of everything. I mean, with Richard Davis and Roy Haynes as a rhythm section, and Joe Henderson playing tenor. You know, you couldn't put together a better band. Also, the tunes and just his style of playing too was—it was—it was beautiful. It was elliptical. It was sloppy at times, but but a beautiful kind of sloppy. You know, um, I don't know. It was just—it was magical to me. Did you ever tell him uh, directly or specifically about that first experience that you had hearing his music? I'm sure I did. I'm sure probably many, many years ago. You know, I knew him for 27 years. So sure. Lots of conversations, and and uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember specifically telling him that, but I'm sure I probably did. That you know, he he knew that he knew how important his music was to me. 
And also the example of, of a life lived was very important as well. The way he lived his life, um, very spontaneously. And yeah, he was just an incredible man. you talk frank there seems to be a a kind of a thread running through it of uh, a, a real embrace of the kind of anything can happen aspect of of the music rather than kind of really rigid control over a particular situation i know you've had a lot of experiences in kind of collective groups and even sure. the way you just described the trio mm-hmm. is that a kind of a fair characterization of your approach to performing the music yeah it is um you know in some situations you have to have more control like I've been playing with Maria Schneider's band for 17 years. That's a huge group. It's, you know, 17, 18, sometimes as many as 20 players. Obviously, in a situation like that, things have to be written out, they have to be rehearsed, they have to be talked about, they have to be gone over sometimes in, in, real, in, in real detail. Um, and, I, and I get a lot out of that, too. But I think... Um, in a way, that's that's sort of well. It's it's definitely the opposite side of the coin, and um, and I enjoy it very much. But you know, given my druthers, um, you know, for instance, if we play with a trio, I, I I write out a list of tunes, so I'll have a list in front of me in case I have a blank moment. But we but there's never a set list. There's never anything like that. You know, I, I don't even count off tunes with the trio. I, sometimes I don't even call them. I'll just start playing and the guys are right there with me. And I think, you know, Lee Konis does that. You know, Lee, Lee will start playing a tune, but he doesn't play the melody. You just kind of have to, if you're playing with him, you have to figure out what it is he's playing. And then when you figure it out, then you're invited to join in. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I, I like that very much because... You know, if, if, if you plan out a set, what if you plan out a set and you play, say, a couple of tunes, and then the third tune of your set is a certain thing, but that's not what the audience needs at that moment? 
you know, I, I feel like I can I can feel the momentum of the set. I can feel the vibe of the audience and and of the of the musicians I'm playing with, and decide in an instant. You know, the music tells me what to play. I don't have to tell it anything. So, you know, I trust the music, and I trust the musicians I'm playing with. Otherwise, I wouldn't have hired them to start with. I trust the audience to to be with us. So, I think is you know, when you have that sort of trust working all the time, then you're really able to you can do anything. Is that trust something you had to to build up over time, or particularly kind of a trust in in yourself and in your ability to just go with the situation? Is that something you've that's always been a part of your plan? Well, it's it's been an ideal. You know, I think realizing the ideal certainly takes time. Uh, it's but you know, I feel the same way about music today that I about playing music as I did when I was twenty. To 23 years old when I was first starting out. The only thing that's really changed, you know, is is perhaps my abilities to pull off what I'm trying to do. But but really, you know, my ideas about what about the ideal have not changed at all. I'm just I'm just better able at this point to get at what I'm trying to do. And you know, it's not like in quotation marks free music. It's playing structured music. Most, you know, most of it's quite structured, but you're playing it freely without nailing everything down. And okay, I'm going to take two choruses, and then you take two choruses, and then we'll trade fours with the. You know, why are you why are you going to do that? It, it's not necessary. So you just let the music tell you what to do. And it, it works for me, you know, most of the time. You know, you occasionally you'll fall on your face. But one musician I worked with years ago told me, you know, you have to be willing to be as bad as you want to be good, because it's that willingness to fail that gets you to the next point. You have to be willing to fail. If you're not, you're never going to take any chances, and you're never going to make any music. So that's like a philosophy that I really live by. You, um, I know you spent uh, much of today and yesterday and the day before uh, with uh, judging auditions uh, at Juilliard, and yeah, um, I don't want to ask you too much about jazz and education, but I do want to ask, uh, based on what you just said, how do uh, how do students react? You know, I, to me, it seems like the the music school environment is a very kind of like rigid, controlled, co- constantly measuring yourself against your peers. And that idea of being willing to fail seems like a very scary thing to tell a student. And I wonder if you've you've had a chance to kind of communicate that concept and how they react to it. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a certain separation for me between my life as a player and composer and working musician. 
There has to be a little separation between that and my job uh, teaching. Because, I don't know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm working with all these kids, and, and they're, they're great. They really are. And it is very regimented, and it requires an extreme amount of commitment on their part and discipline and all those things, uh, which I think is very important. There's a stage in your life where you, you have to commit to that. you know. And then I think after a certain point, you can then work on letting go. You know, it's like you, 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 you spend all this time amassing skills and working on your craft and all of that and thinking about, you know, chord scale relationships or tempos or, you know, various things associated. But then at some point, you know, you want to, you want to take, you want to step on the bandstand and, and forget all of that. And so, you know, but, but failure, you know, the, the idea of failure um, is a beautiful thing. And it's something that I do try to tell these kids because I'll tell them, look, you know, try this. If you fail, you can learn something from your failure or record yourself when you're having rehearsal or playing. And you'll find that, you know, you'll have a moment where you go in your mind, you'll go, oops, I didn't mean to play that. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't okay. Just because you didn't mean to play it, you know, it could be a bad mistake or it could be a happy accident. There's, there, you know, those, those are two different things. And so I'll tell them, you know, go back and listen to this mistake that you made. It may be the hippest thing you played all day. And if it is, then you have to figure out what that is so you can include it in your vocabulary. On the other hand, if you've really made a mistake and it sounds bad, figure out what it is so that you don't do that anymore you know it's uh it's a very interesting thing and and you know i've gone through periods of teaching and then periods of not really teaching um in the late in the last half of the 90s i was teaching a lot and then i didn't teach for almost 10 years and now i'm in my second year there at juilliard and you know, they have a small program, so it's like the faculty is like a family. The students are like a family. You know, there's squabbles and there's little problems that crop up. But, but you know, by and large, everyone gets along. Everyone works together. And um, as sort of regimented as it can be at times, it gives these students um, a discipline that, that they can really work with once they leave school because they're going to need that discipline. You know, we were like, there's been a thing at school the last few weeks playing tunes in, in many different keys. And they wonder sometimes why. And I'll say, I'll tell them, uh, you know, a little parable. I'll say, well, you know, the, the, one of the first gigs I ever had, I was 19 years old and I went to the gig with a singer and she asked me if I knew my funny Valentine. And I said, well, yes, I do. And, and she counted it off one, two, three, F-sharp minor, downbeat, you know. And it had never occurred to me that anybody would do it in a key other than C minor, which is the key it's written in. And so there I was, on the spot. And so I want to help them not be on the spot. 
they they get a lot of uh, they get a lot of different ideas because there's a, there's a great faculty there. You know, when they can talk to me one minute and walk down the hall, and there's Ron Carter standing there, or or Kenny Washington, or you know, Ron Blake, or Joe Temperley, or you know, people like that. So they're going to get a slightly different viewpoint from from everyone there, and that's a beautiful thing because we all have our our likes, our dislikes, our favorites, people we can't, you know, stand to hear play or, or, or whatever, you know, they're going to get a different viewpoint from every one of us. And, uh, of course, we all think we're, we're right. <laughs> so it's, it, it keeps things pretty interesting. My guest is pianist Frank Kimbrough. His uh, brand new CD, uh, just coming out in a few days on Palmetto Records, is called Rumors. And uh, I think you know that I'm a big fan of your music and uh, an even bigger fan of, of the way you, you handle it. And I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much, Jason. It's really a pleasure. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. That's music from pianist Frank Kimbrough from his new CD, Rumors, which comes out in just a few days on the Palmetto label. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. At TheJazzSession.com, you'll find... The mailing list, the Facebook group, the Twitter feed, a donate button, Amazon links that uh, take you right to the albums that are heard on the show, and avail yourself of any or all of those things, won't you? Thank you. Speaking of thank yous, thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music for this program. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Session logo. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.